0: It's good to have you here with us today, good to have you here with us online. want to wish you all a happy Father's Day, guys. Uh, what a blessing to gather uh, together. We are in John's gospel today. We're continuing our study through the gospel of John. We're going to be in John chapter 1, and, uh, and I'm going to get right to work. So let me just jump in where we left off. We pick it up in verse 19, and it tells us here, now this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And we're talking about John the Baptist here, not the Apostle John who wrote the Gospel of John. This is focusing on John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, verse 20, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I'm not. And are you the prophet? And he answered, no. And then they said to him, Who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Last week we looked, as we start, the week before last, looked at uh, as starting the Gospel of John at two characters introduced to us here in the opening verses of John chapter 1. We looked at Jesus, uh, who the gospel is all about. Uh, Just, you know, the, the big idea is that Jesus is God. And we looked at John the Baptist. So regarding Jesus, John tells us, in fact, Jesus is God, that he's the creator of all things. And it tells us that Jesus became flesh and he dwelt among us and that he lived exegetically. Um, And the idea there is that, you know, exegetically means out of the text. Jesus is the word that became flesh. And so everything that he did, everything that he said, was to show us the Father. It was to demonstrate to us the Father. John 1.18 tells us that no one has ever seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father has declared him. You see that word declared in verse 18. That That is uh, this, this word uh, exegesis. It's in verb form. The idea is that Jesus lived out and demonstrated uh, to us his words, his actions showing us the Father. And John highlights two divine gifts that Jesus came to give to us. Uh, we see it in verse 4. It says that in him was life. And that life was the light of men. So Jesus came to give us life, and he came to give us light, life and light. And these two things are critical for us to understand um, because they're the two things that mankind lacks. Why? Well, because the world lives in darkness, and it is infected by sin. And that sinful darkness leads to death. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned, and falls short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. But the Bible also proclaims the good news of the gospel, that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so we read last week, John 1, 14, declaring the word became flesh, dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And verse 16 says, and of his fullness, we have all received grace for grace. It's the idea, the picture here is that God just backs up the dump truck and just dumps on us grace upon grace upon grace. And I don't know about you, but I am so, I'm so thankful for that. Right, and, and this is the, the wonderful truth of the gospel, that, that God loves us and, and he gives us mercy and he gives us grace by the truckload. And John 1.12 says that as many as received him, Jesus Christ, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Beautiful, awesome picture here, and and of course, I'm going to, it wouldn't be a service at uh, Reliance Church if I did not give an invitation uh, to to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and to receive the grace and the mercy that he has for us, and so I'll be given an invitation at the end of the service today. Uh, just just for you to receive forgiveness and, and pardon and grace and, and mercy by, by repenting and turning to Jesus and crying out. and what you will find is that is that God, is is long-suffering toward you. He desires that none should perish, but that all should come to everlasting life. It's been said, no matter how far you run from God, he's only one step away, and that's just a turning to him and the the confession that we're a sinner and that he's the Savior. And Lord, I I need to be made a new creation. I need to, to be made and empowered to know you and to walk with you. And so this is the hope that we have in the gospel. And so we saw Jesus introduced in John chapter 1 as well. John introduces us to John the Baptist. Verse 6 tells us that there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. That word witness, uh, it, it means one who testifies And gives evidence. And we'll get into that more in just a minute. But we cannot miss, and I emphasized this when we went through the the first 14 verses, first uh, 18 verses of John chapter 1. We can't miss this inextricable link between the Messiah and the messenger. Can't miss it. Because Jesus the Messiah, he came to give us light. He came to give us life. And John then bears witness of that Light. And we see that link not only here in John's gospel, uh, in John chapter 1, but we also see it when the church comes on the scene. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus speaking to his disciples there. In Acts 1.8, he says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses, same word, witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so we have the role of the Savior, and we have the role of his servants, And so here today, we're dialing in, we're looking at John the Baptist, servant of God, and we're seeing that the role as a servant for him was to testify of the coming Messiah. That word testimony that you see there in verse 19, this is the testimony of John. That word testimony is the Greek word uh, martyria. And uh, it, it means a witness that testifies and gives evidence. We get the word martyr from this word. And of course, we understand a martyr to be a person who is killed for their faith. And certainly, John the Baptist will ultimately be killed for his faith in Jesus. He'll be beheaded. But the focus here isn't on how John would ultimately die. The focus is on how he lived, how he lived out his life. He lived his life faithfully serving Jesus and pointing everybody to Jesus, taking no glory for himself. Are you the, are you the, the Messiah, they're asking him. Uh, are, 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 you, are you Elijah the prophet? Are, are, are you, you know, the prophet that's going to come? No, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not. I'm going to testify. I'm going to point faithfully to the coming Messiah. Mark's gospel tells us that John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. So let's break that down. Baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. That word baptism, it means literally to overwhelm. It means to saturate. It means to immerse. The word repentance means a change of mind resulting in a changed direction. And the word remission means a relief from bondage Or imprisonment. And coupled together, what John preached was an overwhelming, saturating change of mind and behavior, resulting in the release of bondage and imprisonment. And so today, listen, we understand baptism. We had a baptism last night. It was beautiful. We we baptized 32 people out here in our courtyard last night. It was an an amazing celebration. Of course, we understand baptism today in the Christian church, that it identifies the, the Christian with Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection. But understand that baptism didn't begin with Christians. baptism was a practice that the Jews practiced um, in um, the cleansing ceremonies when a Gentile wanted to convert, a Gentile proselyte, And so a Gentile would come and uh, they would practice baptism. And the idea was that the Jews would tell these Gentiles, hey, you Gentiles, you need to get clean and you need to start following our religious law. Now, what John the Baptist does here, and what we see him doing, is that he took baptism and he applied it to the Jews as well. He, he basically came on the scene and he said, hey, all y'all, it's not just the, the, the Gentiles that need to be cleansed. You need to be cleansed as well. You see, Galatians chapter 3, verse 24 tells us this, that the law was our tutor... To bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Here's the idea. God gave his law, his righteous requirements. And the, the idea, the attitude was that we might understand what God's standard is. And then God instituted a series of sacrifices and all to atone for for our sins, to cover our sins, right? So that we would, because inevitably, you're not going to be able to keep the righteous standard. People will say, oh, I live by the Ten Commandments. And I always say, that's baloney. You don't even know the Ten Commandments. You can't even say them all. How can you keep them if you can't say them? And even if you could say them all, even if you know all the Ten Commandments, it is absolutely ridiculous to assert that by your own efforts, you could be right with God by keeping the Ten Commandments. You can't. Inevitably, you will break them. And so the, the thing is, is that God gave this standard so that we would understand, I'm broken, and I need to be fixed, right? And so the law was a tutor to bring me to the, the one who has atoned for my sins, has, has paid the penalty, for my breaking God's righteous standard. All have sinned, fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. And and so the law exists so that we might go... (laughs) I need help. And then I would turn in repentance to the one who can help. I I would cry out to the Messiah and say, Lord, forgive me. Jesus, have mercy on me. Thank you for paying the penalty for being the the righteous sacrifice, the only sacrifice that could possibly cover over my sin, my violating your law. And so John is saying this to, to, to the Jews. See, they didn't get the memo. They thought, oh, I can be righteous by keeping the law and by practicing this imperfect system of sacrifices, which was always intended to point us to the person and the work of Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, the only lasting sacrifice, the only proper atonement for my sin. They didn't get this memo. They prided themselves on that, hey, I I can... Keep the law, I can practice the system of sacrifices. And John is saying, look, it's not just the Gentiles that need this. All y'all need this. Everybody needs to be cleansed. And so being baptized by John, what it demonstrated was a recognition of their sin, a desire for spiritual cleansing, and a commitment to follow after God, looking ahead to the coming Messiah. This was the idea. Well, this wasn't received well by the Jewish leaders, right? Because John's baptism had to do with repentance in their religious pride. They didn't see a need for their repentance. And this is why, by the way, if you read through Matthew's gospel, I'll put it on the screen for you. Matthew 3, verses 7 and 8 says, When he saw he John the Baptist saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to where he was baptized he said to them oh I'm so glad you're here the water's fine it's not too cold come on in get baptized are you comfortable is everything cool no he didn't say that look what he says he says you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath produce fruit in keeping and repentance and you're like wow man that's pretty harsh why here's why because the religious leaders, we see them coming, and what's their question? They're like, who are you, right? Wh- who the heck are you? And, and, and you know, the idea is, what authority do you possibly have over us? How dare you kind of thing? You notice there in verse 22, it says, uh, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us, right? Right? And why did these religious leaders send this delegation to go confront John? Here's why. They've got a problem because many of the people throughout the region are overwhelmingly responding to John's message of a baptism of repentance, looking forward to the Messiah, preparing and readying their hearts for the Messiah. People are seeing their their need overwhelmingly. Mark's gospel says this, Mark 1.5, Then all the land of Judah... All those from Jerusalem went out to him, to John the Baptist, and they were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. In other words, there was a huge response to John's message. Hundreds of thousands of people coming out into the wilderness, over a thousand people a day, being being baptized, openly confessing their sins. And in short, what's happening is revival is breaking out, and the religious leaders are going, we can't have this. This thing's spinning out of control. No, 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 no. And so they're they're trying to stamp this out. And so we see in verse 19 that they send these leaders out to challenge John. They're like, Who are you? And he confessed and he didn't deny, but he confessed, I'm the Christ, or I'm not the Christ. And, And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. And then they said to him, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you have to say about yourself? Now, these may seem like random questions to us, but the Jews had good reason to ask. Because John looked like Elijah when he came out. See, Elijah was a prophet that was sent by God to call the nation of Israel to repentance. That's the key phrase there, key term, key word, repentance. This is what Elijah was sent to do. 2 Kings 1.8 gives us a description of Elijah. It says that he was a hairy man, that he wore a leather belt around his waist. Well, Matthew's gospel tells us that John, his clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist for, uh, he, uh, for food. He ate locusts and wild honey. John was a, was a crazy picture. And very strategically, he wore this camel hair coat, uh, to resemble, on purpose, to resemble Elijah. Elijah was a hairy man. He wore this camel coat to, to give that appearance. He, like Elijah, he wore this leather belt around his waist. By the way, that's not an accident. He's not posing here. See, when John, when, when John was miraculously given to his parents, the angel of God came to his father and, and t- declared to him, hey, you know, Elizabeth is going to have a child. And, she, and, and this was miraculous. And, um, and he described the child that, that God was going to give uh, to them, John the Baptist. He said, he will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the Father to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So this is John's ministry given to him before his birth. And so John is just executing his his ministry. And so the religious leaders, they, they say to John, who are you that we can give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? And this is when John declares... I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. He's fulfilling his ministry. He says, as the the prophet Isaiah said. Now those, verse 24, who were sent were from the Pharisees. And they asked him, saying, why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you who you don't no, this is a, 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 just a subtle way of John saying, look, the Messiah's already here, and you guys don't have a clue. You, 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 you can't phone a friend, you can't buy a vowel, you don't get it, right? And so verse 17, he says, It is he who, coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. This is a significant thing because these, these rabbis coming out, uh, to challenge John, these religious leaders, uh, they they had authority over the disciples that they led, and they could ask their their disciples really to do anything, but there was one thing they couldn't ask them to do, and that was to fasten their sandals or to wash their feet, any of those things, and they couldn't do that. That was just a step too far. It was forbidden for, for them to require that of their disciples, and John is saying, hey, look, unlike your disciples and your, you know, standard I, I, I'm, not, I'm not even worthy uh, to, to do that. that. That would be too good for me even to do for, for the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and these things were done, verse 28 says, in uh, Beth, Bethabara, uh, beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. Now, John's baptism had a very specific purpose. It was to prepare the way for the Lord. It was looking ahead in preparation of the coming Messiah. He said in Matthew 3.11, I indeed baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. We understand baptism today from a different emphasis. When we practice baptism, when I baptized those 32 people yesterday, uh, the, the idea is that it looks back In response to Jesus, right? Christian baptism symbolizes our identification with the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul told the Romans this. He says, when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we we joined him in his death. For we died and we were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. So the picture here is that, you know, when you're baptized, you go under the water, and symbolic of Jesus' death. You come up out of the water, symbolic symbolic of Jesus' resurrection and the living of newness of life. 2 Corinthians says, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things become new. Again, Paul talking to the Romans, he said, since we have been united with him, with Jesus in his death, we also will be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know that we will also live with Him. We are sure of this, Paul says... Because Christ was raised from the dead and he'll never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. And so you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. And so verse 28 says that these things were done in bethabara beyond the jordan where john was baptizing this is hugely significant when we were in israel several months ago we went to bethabara bethabara is in the jordan ri- river valley it's between the sea of galilee and the dead sea it is out in the middle of nowhere right, and, and uh, you see, you know, the nation today of Jordan is just on the other side of the river, and, uh, and there's guards everywhere, and guys walking around with M16s and all, and, uh, and you know, you go down there, and there's this baptism site. This baptism site is significant because it is the very place where Israel renewed their covenant with God before they entered the promised land. See, what had happened with Israel, right, They broke their covenant with God. God had called them out of bondage in Egypt, and he had called them to go into the promised land. And when they got to that place, they thought, well, before we go in and take possession of the promised land, we should spy out the land. So they sent spies in to spy out the land. If you guys know your Bible history, you know the story, right? All the spies came back and all of them were freaked out because they're like there's giants in the land these guys are going to just we're like grasshoppers in their sight they're going to wipe us out and there were two of the spies who came back with a good report they're like no 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 this is great it's beautiful all they saw was the blessing and they said this is what god has promised to us let's go and take it well everybody listened to the multitude of those who said we can't do this these are giants and and this is too much for us and so what happened is they broke this covenant, this covenantal promise that God had given them to enter out to escape the bondage of Egypt and enter into the promised land through unbelief. And so that entire nation wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They perished in the wilderness. And it was only the two spies who gave the good report and the next generation that would then enter into the promised land. And when they did, they were led by Joshua, right? And Joshua is a Old Testament picture of Jesus Christ. And they were led by Joshua, the priest there leading the way with Joshua. They stepped into the Jordan. They carried the Ark of the Covenant with them, which is a symbol of God's presence, right? And there they went in to the promised land. This is the exact same place where, Je- where John is now baptizing in our text, and next week where we're going to see Jesus coming to be baptized there. So the idea is John the Baptist now, by the way, John the Baptist is a descendant of the priestly line of Aaron. He's a prophet of God. He steps into the waters of the Jordan. He's now baptizing, looking ahead to the, this covenant that we, are, that we have. This, this new covenant with Jesus Christ that we can be baptized, uh, you know, and, and all. And so he's doing this baptism of repentance and anticipation of the coming Messiah. Here's our application today. Just as the people ventured into the wilderness with God, stepping into the river of baptism and repentance, if we want to enter the promised land, we need to do the same. That's the idea. We, we need to recognize our sin. We, we need to desire that spiritual cleansing, and we have to then turn to Jesus, the only one who can cleanse us. Your good deeds don't cleanse you. You're doing good, trying harder, that ain't going to cleanse you, right? God doesn't grave on a cur- grade on a curve and go, oh, you know what, you're, you're not Charles Manson, uh, but, uh, you know, you're not Mother Teresa either, but, hey, because you're not, you know, this horrible person and you, you, you're generally good that you're going to be okay. That's not how it works. And so we have to turn to Jesus, the only one who can save us. And would you notice there in verse 29, I just want to read you the half of the verse here. It says, the next day, John saw Jesus. John saw Jesus. Here's the idea. The question for us as we close, have you seen him? Have you seen the Lord Jesus Christ? And are other people seeing Jesus in you? Well, we began today looking at the witness of John. Right? We said that witness is this Greek word martis and it's the, we get the word martyr from this, a person who who is killed for their faith and what I emphasize to you is listen, our focus isn't on how John died, it's how he lived. And I want to close with a story, being Father's Day and all, with this emphasis of how we're living. Comes from Patrick Morley in his book The Man in the Mirror. And he tells the story of a father and a son, and they go on a fishing trip, and it's a trip of a lifetime, they go to Alaska, and uh, and they're flying a float plane, and they go into this beautiful, pristine area, and they're fishing all day, and and it's just an amazing time, and and, uh, so the time comes, you know, it sort of gets away from them, they're just catching fish left and right, and all... And the time gets away from them and then when they go to, to get back in the plane to take off, they realize that the tide had gone out and so the float plane now was, was sitting on rocks. It wasn't floating in water anymore because the water had all gone out. And so they say, okay, well, we're just going to we're gonna camp out here overnight and uh, and then in the morning when the tide comes back up, we'll, we'll take off. Well, they had a great night camping out and all spending time together and the, the water rose back up the next day and they went to... To, they went to fly fly out, and uh, what they didn't realize is that the weight of the plane, when it settled on the rocks, it punctured it punctured one of the pontoons, and so that pontoon had filled with water, or part at least partially filled with water, so when they went to take off, it threw their weight off, and the plane ended up crashing into the water. Now, they all survived the crash, but... That at that moment, the, 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 the tides were, were had been going out again. And so the, the force of the, of the water as the tide went out this little inlet that made this bay, it was really strong. So everybody was swimming really hard to get to the shore. Almost everybody made it. The dad could have made it, but his son couldn't swim that that hard. And so the dad, rather than swimming and getting to the safety of shore, He, in that frigid water, he chose to stay with his son. And the last anybody ever saw of them, they were floating arm in arm out into the open ocean. And they never found him. Patrick Morley asked the question, he says, what father wouldn't die for his son? What father would not give his life for his children? But then he asked this, he says, if we would so willingly die for them, Why is it so often that we won't live for them? And here on Father's Day, as we look at John the Baptist and we focus on how he lived his life as a testimony of Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you that we, people need to see Jesus in us, right? We have a risen Savior who who has cleansed us from sin. He is a good God and he's a loving God. And for you dads, Listen, if you have asked Christ to be your Lord and Savior, I want to challenge you to live your life as a witness, as a martyr, being willing to give your life for your family, for your children.